Hey, my name is Anthony Fong, and I'm Ben's guest on Big Fat Five. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This is a re-airing of a now-archived episode that is no longer available on our main feed. Well, now it is, from the dark times before we switch to our current format. But you can still go find all the archived episodes at BigFatSnareDrum.com. I've revamped this one and added a little music, so it's kind of how I always wanted it to be presented anyways, but I chatted with Anthony Fung, an incredible drummer and good buddy based in Los Angeles, about the five records and subsequent drummers that will finally get you into jazz. I first saw Anthony play at the now-defunct Blue Whale in Los Angeles, and we eventually became friends. He's an incredible drummer, and I knew he'd be just the person to answer all my elementary questions regarding jazz drumming. I'll just speak for myself on this, but I've always been insecure with my knowledge on jazz. I've gotten quite a bit better since this was recorded, but a lot of it's because of this conversation. And while I do play a song clip from each album during our chat, I don't necessarily say which song it is in real time because I didn't add those tracks until just now. But I've listed them all in the show notes so you can go dive deeper on your own. All right, cheers. Before we get into the jazz drumming records, can you tell me a little bit more just about your history as a as a drummer? Yeah, absolutely, sure. You know, I started pretty early. I guess not that early. I guess ten is not super early these days. Some some kids are starting when they're like two or three. Um, but I watched this movie Drumline. Did you remember this? Oh this yeah, movie? Nick Cannon. Heck yeah. Yeah, Nick Cannon, dude. You know, if I ever seen Nick Cannon, I'd be like, you know, you're the reason why I'm still drumming. That's like my career path because of you. And then, uh, you know, I started taking drum lessons uh, a week after. Then I took drum lessons for a couple months. You know, I learned just what I needed to know just to start, like, transcribing things. And that time I was listening to, like, Blink-182, Linkin Park, you know, Sum 41, Simple Plan. Did not expect you to say that. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I was, you know, just, like, it was a hobby and, you know, something that I really loved to do. And it wasn't until uh, high school I had a friend who needed a a drummer for his jazz quintet for for a Christmas concert. You know, we were playing this Christmas concert. I think it was like a Frank Sinatra tribute, and uh, our singer, you know, wanted to uh, play Fly Me to the Moon. And, uh, you know, back then, I didn't know anything about song form or anything. I just knew the simple, you know, jazz, swing, ride beat, like, you know. Sure. And uh, I just stopped in the middle of the song. And my buddy, Joe, turned around. He's like, don't ever play like that ever again. Like, learn how to play the drums. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I was hooked. And after that, he was actually the one that gave me the, you know, you know, five amazing jazz CDs like that I'm still listening to today. He kind of started everything off for me. You know, that's why I'm going to talk about some of these records that uh, that he showed me back then. 
anyways, fast forward. Um, I went to Berkeley, uh, studied there for three and a half years, uh, studied with a number of great music, uh, great drummers like Ralph Peterson and uh, Terry Lynn Carrington, uh, Neil Smith. Uh, as those, that's as far as drummers go. Um, I also studied with uh, Danilo Perez, great pianist um, from Panama, um, who ended up being like one of my fathers, you know, kind of like a father figure mentor for me. Um, and uh, after that, I uh, moved to New York for a little bit to try to be a, you know, kind of starving artist, uh, seeing, seeing where, you know, becoming a jazz drummer would take me. You know, it was, it was tough for me to kind of get gigs. I did, I was playing some gigs. I started playing some R&B gigs and some, some jazz gigs here and there. Um, but I kind of took that time as an opportunity to uh, see a lot of the masters play. Like Roy Haynes was still around. I saw him play at the Blue Note five times, you know. I saw Al Foster at Smoke. Um, I saw Victor Lewis. Actually, my first night that I got there, I remember it was um, 2013. It was like February 1st, 2013. It was, the, it was the first snow in New York. You know, I took my drums on a Chinatown bus from Boston to New York. That was when I moved to New York. And that night, I somehow I snuck into Smalls in the in, in village. I snuck in for free. And I sat down right next to Victor Lewis, like right behind the drums. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like, I can't believe I'm seeing this live right now. This is New York. You know? This is why I moved here, to, to be able to see all these amazing drummers uh, play, right? Um, so, yeah, so I stayed there for about a year and a half or so. Um, went back to Boston to pursue a master's degree. That was the first year that they, they started something called the Global Jazz Institute that was also led by Danilo. Uh, while I was doing my, my first master's at Berkeley, um, I decided to apply for the uh, Thelonious Monk Institute, which is now the Herbie Hancock Institute. Didn't even think I would even have a chance of getting in just because of, you know, when I was a kid, like 12, 13, I remember the Monk Institute was kind of like the highest echelon of like, you know, if you wanted to go and study jazz music with the masters, like that's like the hardest thing to ever get into. It's because, it's you know, it's so selective. You know, they have thousands of applicants every two years. And they only pick one drummer every two years. So it's like your chances are so low, you know. Um, so I applied. All my friends were just like, man, just send a tape. Just It doesn't matter. Just send a tape. Sent a tape. Got the call back. Went to L.A. to audition. And the next thing you know, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in front of Herbie, you know, Herbie Hancock and, and Wayne Shorter. And he said, you know, you, you're chosen as, as one of the seven people that's going to be studying with us for the next two years. Did, did they say how many other drummers were applying at the, like at that level? I mean, there must have been hundreds of applicants, you know. Okay. But at the audition, I believe there were six drummers. So, yeah, you know, I, I decided to kind of, you know, I came to L.A., dropped everything that, that was going on on the East Coast and just stayed in L.A., pursued the Masters and um, decided to just stay in L.A. And it's been, it's been great, man, you know, getting to bump heads with all these great musicians in the industry and you know, people like you and just like, it's been great. It's been yeah, super man. fun. You, you told the story of, you know, the day you were playing Fly Me to the Moon. Was it from that day forward? You're like, J- I want to be a jazz drummer? That, that solidified it? So I think at that time I was like 14. I was listening to Dream Theater and Tool and okay. Porcupine Tree and, you know, all these sick bands. and A little more complex uh, than Blink-182. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess it was just something, something about it was just like, man, you can't play this style of music. You better learn how to do it. And the next day, my buddy gave me a data CD. You know, you can burn like 10 CDs on one CD. And he's like, 
listen to all these records right now. And I just kind of just got hooked. It was really fun, and we were always jamming, and he was very, uh, you know, enthusiastic and encouraging about helping me, like, learn tunes and yeah, showing records and geeking out, being like, oh, my God, like, that part in that one song is wow check out what you know tony williams is doing in that in, you know in that one section that's so sick we got to check it out yeah you know, spending all my lunch hours just listening to records with him yeah it was, it was it was awesome it was like good times you know do you uh when you're at your practice spot do you ever just play just punk rock and just kind of put the put jazz aside and just go crazy i mean you know like you like as you know being in la you kind of have you can't just play one style in, in los angeles you know you got to sure. be versatile um, I'm also fortunate to have gone to Berkeley. Like a lot of my friends were in a bunch of different circles, and I was never—I never wanted to just be like this one kind of drummer, mm-hmm. um, you know, jazz drummer, like jazz elitist. You know, I, I think it's important to really be respectful of of the style and and the drummers and the musicians who have dedicated their entire lives to it. I'm I'm still shedding that music, but yeah, I mean, when I'm when I'm shedding, I'm like you know, I'm shedding like hip hop. I'm shedding like you know, you know, Afro Cuban music and you know, African music. And just like, you know, just fucking around, like just, you know, practicing drumline chops, you know, it's like I'm doing a bunch of different things. Sure. And the reason why I ask is because, I mean, to me, I, th- I don't want to say punk rock is like a layman, layman drummers, you know, sport. Oh, but when it comes to jazz, the reason why I want to have you on the show to talk about, you know, the, the five records that will get you into jazz drumming is because me included in this, it's very intimidating because like you were saying, you want to be respectful mm-hmm. of the art and the history of jazz that i mean at this point for me I, I mean i could get away with you know basic stuff but i don't want to be disrespectful to the art you know so so yeah let's, let's just get into it um the first record that you have on on the list is uh i'm sure everyone's heard this guy is miles davis and so you actually had two records right yeah so it's well you know it's it, it's kind of always been it's it's basically the same uh show just like two sets so it's they kind of split it up so it's like you know, the, my funny Valentine plus four and more. Okay. So, um, it's just, it's like a, it's like a set, you know, every, everybody always talks about that, you know, my funny Valentine four and more. It's always like one thing. Um, it's essentially the same concert. I mean, dude, I don't even know where to start with this. You know, I, th- these were one of the, this is this specific one was a, a CD that my buddy gave me on that disc. He burnt it for me. Uh, it was one of the first things I heard. I was just like, what, what is going on? You know, it's like miles, like it's, you know, Miles Davis is like this iconic jazz artist. You know, everybody knows. If you don't know what jazz is, you know who Miles Davis is. You know what I mean? You all, you've obviously heard that name. But rightfully so. I mean, this, especially this band in particular, it's it's the second quintet. So he kind of had a f- first quintet, and that was with Paul Chambers and Philly Joe Jones and Wynton Kelly and, um, you know. And then this one, this was a different rhythm section with Tony. Uh, Tony Williams was playing drums, and Herbie Hancock was playing piano. Ron Carter was playing bass and Wayne Shorter, the guys that I ended up studying with, which is crazy. That's know, insane, man. That's so awesome. Um, but man, like in, in this record, especially for me, um, what's, what's, what's inspiring about this record is that um, the way that Tony is able to kind of shape the music in real time. Like he was 18 years old when, when this was recorded. So you can imagine this 18-year-old kid like hot off the press and he's making these crazy decisions that at that time nobody was doing. Like he was in the middle of a song, he would just stop playing. He would lay out in the middle of a solo. So imagine somebody's like playing this burning solo. You know, Miles is playing a burning solo, then he just drops out. Does he keep the hi hat going, or is it just silence? Nothing. Sometimes it'll be like it'll just be like you know he'll play his brush and be like you know whatever, and then he'll just stop playing. Yeah. 
and then Miles will play one note. It'll be like, beat up. And then Tony's back on the ride cymbal with the stick, like as if nothing was, you know, nothing ever stopped. You know what I mean? God. Um, so that kind of, Tony was the, one of the first guys to kind of start that. I mean, he wasn't obviously one of the first guys, but he was one of, an, he was an innovator because he was, he started that kind of um, interactive playing. You know, up until then, the role of the, the drummer was kind of more of like a timekeeper, you know. Yeah. But Tony was play, like, yeah. yeah, just like a bang, 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 you know, like hitting crash cymbals, like dropping bombs. Like, you know, when he takes a solo, it's like a all, you know, everything is completely free. You know, so so Tony, man, he was he was like he was the man, you know, till this day, everybody's still trying to emulate that sound. And he's so iconic, super iconic. And again, everything I say in this podcast will sound <laughs> probably ill-informed. But for me, when I think Not of Tony all. Williams, I think of that right hand. He is so fast. It's his, his, his finger technique is insane. Like, he has like five people on one ride cymbal, you know? It's like, I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, if you listen to like, um, <clears throat> if you listen to Walkin', which is, which is off of disc two, okay. it's just like, he wasn't afraid. I mean, I think back then also, it was just kind of like young, raw energy and you know, people are saying, oh, man, these guys are speeding up. But, yeah, probably, they're probably probably speeding up. But the fact that Tony could keep that ride simple, like, chicketing, 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 man, this guy's chops is crazy. It's like Buddy Rich, you know what yeah. I mean? It's just like, chicketing, 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 um, And if you watch any of his clinics, you know, on YouTube or anything like that, he plays a lot of singles and doubles. Like, he's literally just playing singles and doubles, and he'll build an entire drum solo just doing singles and doubles. And then the next thing you know, it's like, is this jazz, or is this fusion you know like he just starts he he it doesn't matter it's just his his musicality kind of speaks for itself in particular one of the tracks that is is super important to me was was um stella by starlight okay and uh that track in particular there's there's a moment i believe it's like you know after two minutes or so where it's like one of those moments where <clears throat> tony drops out and then miles plays beat up and Tony goes on the ride symbol, and some guy in some guy in the uh, audience was like, "Yeah!" like <laughs> screeching, like yelling. I mean, that's, I mean, everybody talks about that one track, you know, but for rightfully so, like the power of music, you know what I mean? Just like one thing and just the entire, you know, everybody goes crazy. It's just insane. I mean, and yeah. there's, there's, there's punk ethos in that kind of playing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, if you listen band- to any of his lifetime stuff, you know, he's, he's, it's all like rock. Like, it's like, it's all rock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, he had a good so teacher. Who was his teacher? Uh, Alan Dawson. He's oh, okay. out of Boston. Okay. Yeah. 
Fork's Drum Closet, Nashville's full-line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Fork's is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Fork's offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Fork's has something for every drummer. They offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street, Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37210. Or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. All the information I just said is at ForksDrumCloset.com. <clears throat> All right, number two, uh, Chick Corea's Now He Sings and Now He Sobs. And this is uh, from 1968, and it's Roy Haynes. Yeah, Roy Haynes. Mm-hmm. Um, man, this is, I mean, this is... If somebody were to ask me, you know, like, what are your, I guess this is kind of the question that you asked me. And it was really hard for me to actually, you know, pick five records for me. Well, thank you um, for taking Desert the time Island, to do it, man. Desert Island Records right here. This one right here. Now he sings, now he sobs. You know, he's still. First of all, Roy is still still going strong. I, I believe he's 95 years old now. Oh my god! I mean, god. throughout the lineage, if there's no other drummer that's played with, you know, Sarah Vaughn and and then played with Charlie Parker and then you know, going through the ages and Chikoria and now he's still playing at the Blue Note. Like, you know, of course his his health is 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 not great, but man, he still plays as if he he was 20 years old, 18 years old. He's still playing his ass off, man. This guy is insane. Honestly, like if you ever get a chance to watch Roy Haynes live, it is one of the most magical things you've ever you'll ever experience. You know, they they call him a snap, crackle, pop. Why? Because uh, because of his nature, it's like everything that he plays is so like snappy. It's like check it, 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 check it. You know, it's like everything is very like snappy. Everything's very poppy. Um, you know, he does a lot of things with like you know stick. Uh, stick shots and and uh, just the way that he plays off of the uh, you know the triplet where he'll play around the kit he'll be like deca deca and deca and he does a lot of things where he'll play the hi hat and the floor tom you know at the same time you know you know this kind of thing but um, I think the the one thing for me was I've I've never heard anybody play with such a light touch before you know it's it's almost unbelievable if you listen to um, Matrix or uh, steps, what was, or uh, windows. The way that he phrases the the ride symbols, absolutely, just like ticketing, 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 ticketing. So it's not, you know, when you think of the ride symbol, you think like ching, ching, ding, ching, ding, ching, ding, ching, ding. Or in Tony's case, you play ching, ching, ding, ding, ching, ding, ding. So it's like five, ding, 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 very straight, ding, Chick kind of had that same thing, where it was whenever he played the ride symbol, it's just like it's so it's he plays it in a straight line. You know what I mean? So he'll kind of play like, 
straight. It's not like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's very light. He's got that light touch. It's almost. It almost looks like he's like. It almost sounds like it's like a pencil, like touching a symbol. You're like. It's just light. It's just like. Yeah, that's easy. That's the hardest thing I think any drummer can agree is to play with control, with low volume. That's the hardest thing for me. <laughs> so I'm I'm from a punk rock background. I still play punk rock, rock, you know, pop rock, whatever, uh, for my for my gig. And uh, yeah, that's uh, something I need to practice on. So when you hear it done well, it just blows my mind. Brian Blade for me is a, is more of a modern day guy. That he just his it was like a KXP performance with um, I think it's the Fellowship Gang. Is that what his, his group? Yeah, 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 the Fellowship. Fellowship. Yeah, and uh, yeah, the sounds he can produce but not to take away from roy haynes but yeah i just wanted to bring that up i mean yeah i mean i wanted to you know i wanted to also talk about brian too i mean so many drummers like i could i can go on for days i mean brian is like one of my heroes as well too he could be an honorable Um, mention (laughs) yeah he could be an honorable mention but uh roy haynes and jack dejanet they're like it was maybe after i can't i don't even know what the occasion was but maybe it was after a concert or after some some gathering or something and they have all their friends around and roy and Jack are just like trading off tap at, you know, tap dancing on the floor, like, you know, like battling, you know, Roy. <laughs> did it's, you ever get a chance to meet Roy? And I, I know you said you, you got to see him, um, but did you ever approach him and say what's up? I didn't get a chance to, cause yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's a thing I just, yeah, I wish I got a chance to, maybe I was a little too nervous, but, oh, yeah. um, you know, every single time I saw him at the, at the blue note, I sat right in front. Um, and you know, as like right in front of the drums, and as you know, at the Blue Note in New York, you're really close to the drums. You know, if you're sitting on that side, and I came off, you know, gave me a high five. It was all I needed. Oh, it was, dude, you know, yeah, great. you're set for life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm set for life, and I mean, the the biggest respect is is to study these guys and listen to their records and and play along to their CDs and and learn the ins and outs of of their vocabulary. I think that's that's a, a high respect, and for me, like he's always going to be one of my heroes. No matter what. So that one day that I do get to meet him, of course, I'm going to be like, man, Roy, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, can't thank you enough. I don't, I don't even know where to start. Maybe I'll bake him a cake or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah, you, you, you speak of uh, the jazz clubs in New York. The only one that I've actually been to um, is 55 Bar. which oh, nice. is I love uh, 55 Bar. Yeah, when that place is packed out, that's a fun spot. And when I say packed yeah. out, it's like when there's 25 people in there. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> Um, all right, yeah. so Chick Corea, Now He Sings, Now He Sobs. Um, next one is, and this is one that I'm assuming people thought was going to be on this list. I mean, you you mention any drummer, they'll, you know, when MTV Cribs, they have like, uh, oh my God, Al Pacino, Scarface. You know, it's like yeah. everyone has Scarface. Everyone, uh, everyone's, everyone loves John Coltrane's A Love Supreme oh, with Elvin Jones and the drums. I mean... If you don't mention Elvin Jones in, in, in this, I mean, you know, relatively all these drummers that I'm talking about are, were considered at that time modern drummers, you know. Um, I could have went back and we could have talked about Kenny Clark and, you know, Papa Joe. Um, and those, obviously, they, those guys hold a, a very um, special place in my heart. But for me, these are the ones that, you know, I kind of, you know, were, were um, exposed to at a young age. And these are the ones that, that spoke to me. So Elvin Jones was like, he's he's just one of those guys that everybody has to know who Elvin Jones is. Everybody has to know like what that like triplety, like laid back swing, but not slowing down feeling sounds like, you know what I mean? That kind of lazy, but you know, that rolling three sound, it always sounds like if he's playing like in four, four, it almost always sounds like he's still playing in three. 
Um, he does a lot of things where you know he he'll he'll play triplets in between in between his his snare drum and I mean that's he he did a lot of press rolls like going into a big downbeat and a, a lot of his his playing was was shaped through McCoy Tyner and I I speak about this this record in particular you know obviously there are a lot of other recordings with with this particular quartet man McCoy on this you know he does this thing where they'd be playing. And every eight bars, you just, you know, McCoy be like, you know, McCoy play this really strong downbeat, you know, with the fourth, you know, like really strongly. And every time he played that shit, Elvin would smack the cymbal like a bomb, like, you know, and that's why it was so it just hit you every single time they're playing. It's just it's it just felt like this tribal feeling, you know, Elvin always had this tribal feeling to it and you know he was he was very hip he, he was hip to like afro-cuban music and and west african drumming and I mean, this guy was hip i guess he was also known as you know on the first track um of a love supreme uh, it's called acknowledgement and um he plays like this famous like elvin jones mambo so everybody knows mambo like like you know you know you know but he kind of took his own spin on it, you know, when he put it on the ride symbol. very like laid back but it's a, you know that's why it's called the elvin mambo you know elvin's mambo it's like it's his thing you know what i mean and it's, it's so iconic you know a lot of people will write in their chart like a jazz chart sometimes i'll get a jazz chart and be like play like an elvin mambo it's like perfect i know exactly what that is you know or at least my interpretation of it i'm never going to try to sound like elvin but when somebody says play an elvin mambo i mean that's all i'm going to go for you know what i mean why do you think that one is the uh, a love supreme why do you think that i mean i know you just explained it but why do you think that one has resonated with so many people i think at that time you know in a lot of interviews and john was talking about searching for this spiritual place you know with uh, i don't know if you know the story but the, the story please. goes like you know john uh you know coltrane at the time had a you know big heroin addiction mm. and uh when he finally realized that he you know because he was starting to lose gigs and he was in miles's band and um he was just he was an addict at that time so he he went back home and he just went cold turkey you know i can't i don't even know how long it it took him to to get clean from that um i don't know the ins and outs but the basic story goes you know he went cold turkey and and his wife at the time was you know helping him like giving him food and he would just lock himself in the room in his house and at that time during that time um when he was going through rehab by himself he wrote this suite this one right here, Love Supreme. So when it came out, uh, he had a full, you know, four-part thing, and he was just like, you know, we, we got to go into the studio and record this. 
And I think it was at that time he just had so many emotions and so many ideas that he wanted to um, say through his horn um, that it was just all trying to, he was just trying to, all the lines were just trying to come out all at the same time. And he wouldn't have been John Coltrane without McCoy Tyner, without Elvin Jones, without with these guys, without Jimmy Garrison and all these guys, like they were part of his sound, especially Elvin, you know, the fact that these guys, like they would just keep going, you know what I mean? It's almost as if live or die basically with mm -hmm. these guys. Right. So when you listen to this record, you kind of have to listen to it all the way through, but it feels like they're reaching for something. You know what I mean? It feels like they're, they're reaching for like a, whatever spiritual place that they were going for. And uh, I think that's why it resonates with so many people, because when people listen to it, they're just like, yeah, like, I, I feel like maybe I don't know what, exactly what's going on. Coltrane's playing all these like fast lines and, and Elvin's like hitting all these bombs and McCoy's just like going in deeper and deeper and deeper. But they feel this kind of essence when they listen to it. I think that's why it's such a, a spiritual record for a lot of people, really, for myself included. I mean, I remember being 14 years old and listening to it on the bus to school and just being like in my like wow like what's my mind being blown just like wow like what am i listening to is this jazz like what does it mean like what's the purpose of playing jazz like what is it you know that's a yeah. i mean that's that's a very good answer to that question <laughs> i'm really excited to listen to that one all the, all the way through man yeah. um and so and you were talking about mccoy tyner which is going to tie into our next number four which is mccoy tyner's uh super trios which is yeah. from 1977, so yes. um, about 12 years later, and this is Jack DeJanette on the drums. Yes. Well, it's it's kind of a double album. So six six of the tunes is with Tony Williams. Oh, okay. And six of the tunes is uh, is with Jack DeJanette on drums. You know, of course, I'm not saying I don't, you don't listen to the first six songs with Tony Williams. The entire record is is fucking killing. You know what I mean? Um, but especially with 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 Jack. Uh, I was I was exposed to this record by a, a teacher of mine actually. It was um, uh, his name was Ralph Peterson. I remember I came into a, a lesson, and it, in the in the practice in the um, in the lesson rooms, um, they would always have these big speakers so they can play music. So I remember going into my lesson one day. Ralph plays the last track on this album, Blues for Ball. He's like, play along to it. Let me hear what you sound like. Just play along to it. Don't worry about it. Just play along to it. And I'm just like, what like how do I play along to this? Like, I don't, I don't know what to do with my limbs. Where <laughs> is my hand supposed yeah. to go? Like, what is my foot supposed to do? Like, yeah, where yeah. am I supposed to fill on the drums? You know? <laughs> he's after, after he's like, man, what, like, what'd you feel about that? I'm like, man, it was all over the place, but he's like, man, but it was, it was killing. Right. I'm like, yeah. Like, who was that? Who was that on drums? He's like, that's Jack DeJanette. And, uh, he, you know, Ralph would always talk about this kind of like, washing machine kind of feeling like this rolling you know all these drummers i'm talking about all have this like rolling kind of feel but when i think about jack it's kind of like a painter he's he's painting he's kind of just like he'll just like play he's, he's very rolly like he'll, he's kind of like a rolly drummer so he'll play a lot of doubles but for me it's it's hard to study somebody like jack because it's almost like it's you can't transcribe it i mean you can it would take a very long time. It's very, I mean, you can, I'm sure you can, but I, I personally haven't spent the time to because it's just too crazy. I would just rather get the essence of it. Like for someone like Elvin, which is still very hard to transcribe, you can still kind of notate some of his stuff. But for Jack, it's so unexpected. Everything he plays is so unexpected.
He's also one of those melodic drummers too, like super melodic. I mean, he he tunes his drums in different intervals, and he has a lot of different drums, right? So it's like, you know, and he, if you watch any of his his performances on on YouTube, like it's just everything is like, he kind of has this like classical snare approach when he plays. It's a lot of it is like he has a lot of arms, but it's very relaxed. So when you hear the rolls, they're all super even, like you know. So I mean that's that's why I love Jack, you know, especially on the on that track Blues for Ball. Like it's it's insane. This this I mean it's 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 almost like a wave of sound, but it's still it's you know, once you hear it it's kind of funky like you know, and he just plays all these rolly things and it's just it's it's just great. It's great. Well no, this is why I'm I'm stoked to have you on because a lot of times again I'll include myself in this when I listen to when I listen to jazz I don't know how to decipher it. Like I'm, I definitely am hearing the different drummers' styles, but until I like mm-hmm. listen to what you're saying, I hope our listeners do this. You know, listen to exactly what you're saying about Jack, then go listen to it. And be like, oh, okay, I get it now, because it's like they are hearing how he's different. But until mm-hmm. you're, you take away the intimidation and actually have someone be like, this is why he's different. Do you understand now? It's like, oh, totally, I do. I think to a lot of people, they just don't know what to look for in jazz. So it's fun to. Here's someone who knows about it. Um, and this this one, too, the McCoy Tyner, the Super Trios, I, I noticed the, the drums are mixed higher in the mix, too. Um, right. And if, if you listen to um, uh, Moments Notice, and that, that's on the Tony side of the record, Tony Williams, it's just drums and piano. And if you, if you want to hear the drastic difference from Four and More, My Funny Valentine, to this record, you really hear it. I mean, he's, he's fucking going for it. Like, you know, it's like Billy Cobham, like that kind of like Dennis Chambers, like that kind of drumming. It's just like, he's like crashing everywhere. Just like very bombastic, like, but controlled, very controlled, of course, at the same time. That's Tony at the ripe old age of like what twenty eight at that point. Yeah, <laughs> he's already like been that. a legend yeah. for you know years. <laughs> yeah, it's but ridiculous. You, I mean, just you—you you can even hear somebody grow. What when you can hear somebody of that caliber grow and see their maturity over the years? Like, I think that's that's just wonderful. You know, hearing how people can can just continue progressing, especially someone like Tony. Man, like by the end of his career with his lifetime projects, just like. Like you said, it's like punk rock. It's just literally just like punk rock, rock music, just like fusiony kind of music, and just like sh- these guys, like they they were all just trying to be musicians and be the best drummers that they could, you know. Mm-hmm. 
All right, yeah. so number number five. This is Lee Morgan's Cornbread from 1965, and this drummer I'm not familiar with as much as which is a uh, Billy Higgins. Um, you know, Billy Higgins is like I think he's from LA. I'm pretty sure he's from LA, but he he was kind of like an LA native, and I, I think a lot of people, you know, in, in Crenshaw, you know, they Billy was like a a big 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 influencer for them because he he was the first the person that uh, founded the World Stage. You know, Billy was that kind of person who would. Um, allow a lot of young musicians to come and jam with him and he was like a it was almost like a guardian angel he was like helping everybody in the community but something that makes him really special um i also like to talk about it a couple reasons for me especially on this record is that you kind of get a lot of different styles or a lot of different ways of playing jazz music because he has you know you have your straight ahead like you know like your medium swing you have your brushes um, you kind of have. There's a track on there called Siora, where it's kind of like a bossa nova, bossa nova samba y kind of thing. But what Billy Higgins is known for is is his boogaloo. drummers were known for for their their swing pattern and and billy was known for it his swing pattern being very straight um another thing especially for billy that that was great for me is is just the way that he would approach comping on the snare drum and a, a lot of not the drummers that are trying to get into jazz it's almost like their left hand is like an auxiliary it just happens when it happens you know what i mean mm-hmm. so for billy it's great because you can kind of if you transcribe it you can kind of hear the the different beats that he's that he's playing in the grid um, a lot of times he would play on the end of two and the end of three and he would buzz a lot of his notes on the snare drum um, later on his, in his career you can probably hear more of that than than on this album on this album it's still very swinging more more like a little bit more like roy haynes you know yeah you gotta you know he's getting paid he's got to do what he's supposed to do and then when you get a little more confidence <laughs> exactly. later on in the career you can be like you know what i want to do this i don't want to do that anyway <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> And you mentioned you mentioned Max Roach, which um, not that I'm surprised you didn't have a Max Roach record on there. But do you have a favorite Max Roach record to uh, you know get people? Because I'm sure every drummer's heard that name too. Yeah, I'd, I'd say you should check out the uh, Max Roach and Abby Lincoln record, the Freedom Now Suite. Longer, 
freedom day, freedom day. Throw those shackling chains away. I mean, if it weren't for Max Roach, I mean, it's like, you know, all those other drummers wouldn't, wouldn't have that kind of bass and foundation that they do. And he, he's another one. He's, he's, he's very great with, if, if, if we can put uh, jazz comping between the snare and the bass drum and relate it to linear playing, he was a very linear player. You okay. know what I mean? He, you can hear his limbs very clearly because you can hear the, the, the constant dialogue between the snare and the bass drum. Mm-hmm. You know, and he would use a lot of um, uh, hemiolas, like two over three, uh, three over two kind of kind of polyrhythms. Mm-hmm. You know, deca deca, deca 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 Very cl- he, he's a very clean drummer to me, but very powerful. The other one that I wanted to talk on that I don't really know much about um, is Art Blakey. Art Blakey was known for for just putting together these amazing bands. You know, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. You know, he had all of the greatest musicians. You know, like Wayne Shorter and. You know Freddie Hubbard and uh, Bobby Timmons and I can't even think just like a bunch of people like Terrence Blanchard and he just had a legacy of, of of musicians throughout the years that kind of grew up in that kind of camp of Lee Morgan camp of playing you know just very like they would write the music for art and what was so powerful about him is is that he was almost like a big band drummer you know because he would just lead the band like he was he was known for a shuffle like Art Blakey shuffling. Laying it down, you know, yeah. fat, just laying it down, using the bass drum. His, he was mostly known for his press roll. His press roll, like it would just go from zero to like ten thousand in a span of two bars. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. And he would just lay into that, into that ride symbol, and just like that time was going. Like when you know when when he played that press roll and hit the symbol, that was when you knew that music was gonna. That music's going. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the rest of the, the rest of history, the entire the entire concert's gonna be blaring you know um i mean that's that's kind of i mean i thank you so much tons of great information is there anything else you wanted to talk about when it comes to why people should get into jazz drumming yeah absolutely i mean you know i i i think there's no there's no great way to kind of like prepare yourself to like listen to jazz or 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 just like dig deep into it like you know the way that i started i actually i got this book i'm sure a lot of people do when they want to first get into jazz i got this book john riley the art of bop drumming oh sure yeah and that's a great book because you can he kind of breaks it down in a very easy way and he he shows like different comping patterns that were very um common at the time or common to hear and that kind of phrasing um but realistically with, with any other style of music it's really just about getting deep into the um the history and like listening to records and and honing into the ones that you really like and for me the way that i learned honestly and is the way most people learn is is through transcribing and also just sitting down and playing with the records like literally just playing with the records you know an exercise i used to do i still do to this day you know if if you're listening to a record and like i said you know with these drummers they all have different ride beats just play just the ride symbol, you know, like I would have the ride symbol set up in my room and just try to play just the ride symbol. Like what makes this guy's ride symbol different from this guy's ride symbol? And I think that'll already itself take care of half the battle. When somebody plays jazz, it's not just one thing. There's so many different ways of, of playing that style of music. So, I mean, you know, if, if I were somebody that was, you know, in a punk rock band or in a heavy metal band or 
the lines are being blurred these days. You know, jazz drummers are, are trying to sound more like Steve Jordan, you know, and then Steve Jordan's trying to sound more like a jazz drummer. You know, there's no better time, especially right now, like with the time that we all have doing, you know, if we're not working at home, check out a record and check out some of these records that I mentioned and try to play along with them and see what happens. You know, you never know. You could possibly get hooked onto something and that I, I hope I inspire somebody to, you know, listen to these records and be like, man, like this was a fucking great record, man. I'm gonna, gonna keep listening to this and, and really try to dig deep, dive deep into Roy Haynes or dive deep into Tony Williams. I hope that that really comes through with, with whoever's listening to this podcast. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Also, go check out Anthony's own music wherever you stream music by searching Anthony Fung. His last name is spelled F-U-N-G. Bye.